This is The Guardian. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Before we start, this episode contains some very strong language and references to grooming. Doctor Who's new villain is drag queen Jinx Monsoon. Hello, and blessed be to the graduating class of whatever year you're watching this on YouTube. Our queer characters finally snatching the spotlight. You've got it, sweet cakes. No more talking, singing, zip. <laughs> you're so weird. You have no idea. You're listening to Pop Culture with me, Shante Joseph, for The Guardian. If I think back to my childhood and the sort of characters I watched on TV, I remember him from Powerpuff Girls and Jafar from Aladdin. And it's only now, as an adult, that I see how problematic some of those depictions were. Not only were these characters using stereotypes of queerness, it was also hidden and alluded to. So when it was announced that Doctor Who had cast drag queen Jinx Monsoon as their next villain, I worried that this was problematic. But with Doctor Who in the safe hands of Russell T. Davis, I thought, actually, this could low-key be iconic. I performed at the show called Gallifrey Cabaret, which is Doctor Who-themed drag and cabaret night at the Royal Vauxhall Tavern. It's a lot of fun, and I think partly because the audience is all Doctor Who related. David Chipakupaku is a Scottish Zambian journalist and writer and performs under the name Black Mamba. I love Jinx Monsoon. <laughs> every, every single announcement that has come out of this show recently has, has just got me so excited about the future of Doctor Who. But Jinx mm-hmm. Monsoon, for people who don't know, is a two-time winner of RuPaul's Drag Race, which is the biggest reality competition show for drag performers, for drag queens specifically. I am so honoured to be honoured here tonight at this imaginary event. <laughs> She's also... Um, a trans feminine person. And it is really exciting to be seeing 
drag represented in this way, to see trans people represented in this way. She's been described as like the Doctor Who's like deadliest enemy yet. And that gets thrown around a lot. Like there'll be at some point there'll be like a, a fight and a debate between like the Daleks and the Cybermen and the Master and all these big villains who are like, no, I'm I'm the best. The Doctor's most deadly no, I'm the best. It feels like a new yeah, it feels like a new era is coming in, a new kind of new representation, but also just exciting exciting new characters that we've not really kind of seen before in Doctor Who in that kind of sense. Yeah. It's always been queer coded. There's always been little suggestions and hints. And there's mm. always been camp associated with Doctor Who, I think. To see Jinx take on a huge role like that is deeply exciting as a yeah. fan. This whole idea of like Doctor Who having a relationship with like representing queerness kind of goes way before Jinx Monsoon. Like there's there's so much that's happening. You've kind of said yourself, Doctor Who's always felt like a little bit camp but are there like any other moments specifically that you kind of think of as like very queer queer adjacent moments in in doctor who history so there was in the classic series there's never really any explicit so when i say the classic series i mean 1963 to 1989 the original run of doctor who there's never really any explicit mentions of lgbt plus people and because for a good portion of that, a homosexuality was illegal and then legalized. And then by the time you get to the 80s, you've got Section 28 being brought in by the Thatcher government. So there's never really a kind of like explicit, here's a gay companion, here's a lesbian companion. And like the idea of even contemplating trans people is like, I think, way beyond a mainstream 1970s, 1980s audience. However, the final companion of the classic era of Doctor Who is a, a girl called Ace. And she starts off with the Doctor as a kind of 16-year-old rebellious um, teenager. And there are very subtle hints all the way through the show that she's a lesbian. And there is very heavy lesbian subtext all the way through that ep- those episodes between Ace and one of the cheetah people. There's conversation about the fact that had Doctor Who gone beyond 1989, that, that Ace would have been the first lesbian companion on screen. You don't have to cut to like 2005, when Russell T. Davies brought the series back, and you've got Captain Jack, played by John Barrowman, who is pansexual. Captain Jack Harkness, at your service. I mean, the doc, we go way back. This is important. You have the first you know, kind of queer moments in Doctor Who in that in that series. But then the first full-time gay companion to the Doctor is, is um, Bill, played by Pearl Mackey. There was this girl, student, beautiful, like a model, only with talking and thinking. In 2016. But then most recently, you've got Mandip Gill, who played Yaz, and it was the first time that you saw a same-gender relationship between the companion and the Doctor was between the 13th Doctor, played by Jodie Whittaker, and Yaz, played by Magic Girl. I think quite transformative, really. There were some fans who complained that it didn't go far enough, and it would have been nice for it to have have done more, because they don't kiss on screen, but there's a really strong intimacy between those two characters in their last couple of stories. And that was really special to witness when it went out the first time. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff around this whole idea of that people felt like it was queer baiting because that they were kind of being breadcrumbed this idea of like potential queer love, but never actually fully committed to it. Like, how did you feel about those accusations? I, I disagree strongly with that. And the reason I disagree with it is because 
the cast and the crew explicitly said this is a queer relationship. And it wasn't something that they initially started out doing when Jodie Whittaker started as a doctor in 2017. And Yaz is is a companion that travels with her all the way through her era. And it wasn't something they planned when Jodie's first series aired. But when the fans, just before they started filming series 12, the fans online were like, oh my goodness, there's all this really lovely subtext between them. Wouldn't it be nice if there was a, a proper queer relationship? And Chris Chibnall, who was the writer at the time, went, well, why don't we do it? Why don't we start referencing, making these references? And the crescendo comes at the end of Jodie Whittaker's era, where she's being picked up by Yaz and taken back to the TARDIS. And there's all these all these romantic references and gestures. And the second last episode, they sit on a beach and she, the Doctor goes, I love you, but I can't be in a relationship with you because... I, I will outlive you. I will, you know, I'm an alien. But if I do fix myself to somebody, I know sooner or later, it'll hurt. So I want to be in love with you, but I can't. So I don't think it's baiting. Mm. Yes, it would have been nice for it to have gone further. It would have been nice to see them kiss on screen. It would have been nice for them to kind of be like properly in a relationship for a series or so. Rose and the Tenth Doctor don't kiss until their final episode. Right. Um, I don't feel like it was any less of a relationship than previous Doctor Companion relationships have, have gone before. I don't think it was Bay. I thought, it. yes, it would have been nice for it to go further, but there's more to it than that. And it explicit, they're explicit about it. They say they're in love. Um, so you can't really say that something's bait when it is real. Yeah, I guess it's interesting because it's what you kind of see as explicit queer love and it's what your references are. And if you're constantly looking at heterosexual relationships as the barometer for what we define as love, then if something doesn't play in a specific way or like, why is this being made? Do you know what I mean? Like, I think there's probably this idea of like what we see as love is is very like heteronormative. So then we don't like people don't feel they're getting the representation they deserve because it doesn't look like what what we consider it to be. A lot of the people who really pushed for that that doctor companion relationships were young women young female fans and it's kind of the first time Jodie Whittaker's era was the first time that we kind of saw yeah I, I saw anyway young female and non-binary fans feel properly represented and feel able to engage in Doctor Who fandom because it is it can be and it still is quite a, a male-dominated fandom I, I think that Part of the reason that that maybe those complaints came about is because when it comes to representation of gay love on screen, quite often it is two men who fall in love, and they're often two white men, and they're often two white cisgender men, and they're kind of palatable, whereas, and there still are, and there should be more, lesbian relationships on screen and bi-female relationships on screen where you see two women get together or two femme people get together and it just doesn't happen as often. And when when Russell came back, a lot of, particularly in 2005, of a lot of his writing then was from the perspective of a gay man. Yeah. And I think this next series is going to be an interesting one as well because Yasmin Finney has also just joined the cast and she's going to be the first trans actress to do so. Like, Do you think that is another important moment for the show? So she's going to be playing the the daughter of of Donna Noble, who is probably one of the the best-known and best-loved companions in Doctor Who history. At this moment in time, Yasmin being on the show 
and playing a trans character, playing a trans teenager from the sounds of it, is something that's going to be really important, particularly in a show like Doctor Who, which is a family program. Mm-hmm. I think that her being there is going to be is going to mean so much to the representation of trans people, particularly in this time, mm. um, where there's a lot of anti-trans rhetoric from various various corners, um, and it feeds into it feeds into Russell's writing now, which has become more and more political. Doctor Who has always been a political program. You know, there's a famous episode, um, two-parter, Aliens of London, World War Three, which is in series one. Mm. And to cut a long story short, aliens disguise themselves as politicians and get into Downing Street and then say, there's a big alien spaceship up above and we need nuclear warheads from the UN to bomb this alien spacecraft because it's gonna, they're, they're threatening to blow us up. As the Prime Minister, if aliens fake an alien crash, an alien pilot, what do they get? Us. They get us. And the Doctor watches that and goes, don't be ridiculous, no one's ever going to believe that. And Rose mm. says, well, they did the last time. And mm. that was broadcast in 2005. It's a massive allegory for weapons of mass destruction and the war in Iraq. So it has never been a non-political program. I think it's very obvious as to why he's cast Jinx, why he's cast Yasmin Finney, why he's yeah. cast Pete McHale, who's going to be the first trans man in Doctor Who. I think there's a very clear message that he's wanting to send at this particular moment in time. Yeah. And it's interesting because I was thinking about these castings and the fact that Jinx Monsoon has obviously been cast, like we love her, she's amazing, but she's also been cast as a villain. And there's something like historically across like a lot of media, particularly when I think of cartoons and villains in cartoons, but also villains in like real life productions tend to be queer coded or they tend to like definitely feel like they're queer. Um, and I wondered if you kind of had thoughts on this, on this idea of like villains always being kind of queer-coded individuals. And if you think it's probably different this time, given the context you've given about Russell T. Davis. Yes, there's a history of queer-coding villains. Mm-hmm. So you only need to look at, particularly Disney villains, yeah, people like Jafar. Really. There's like a very clear of queer camp coding around him. says there's someone I'm dying to introduce you to. But also the references that producers would pull on when creating a villain, someone like Ursula in The Little Mermaid is based on Divine, the very famous drag performer. And it's why I've been really interested in the discussion around Melissa McCarthy's makeup in The Little Mermaid and it's like yeah. well, it's because it's drag it's makeup drag, yeah. it's, it's based on Divine who had a pencil thin brow and had a blocked brow and had very pale skin this uh, prince fellow not that I blame you he is quite a catch isn't he <laughs> you know you can very clearly see those influences we're at a point now where I think we're happy and ready to look at 3D versions of queer people of black people mm. of being working class of all these of all these different subsections of people we're in an age where we're being told as queer people that we are evil and that we are mm. sinful and that mm. we are wrong and those voices are getting really really loud and as a response to that there's a kind of a thing at the moment happening where queer people will say okay if you think i'm evil if you think i'm sinful if you think i'm disgusting i'm going to live in that all of the the abuse that has been targeted at Sam Smith mm. in the last four 
has been because they have woken up and gone, you want me to be this caricature evil villain? Fine, I'm going to do it. And they stand on the stage at the Grammys in horns and <laughs> dressed in red with red lighting and Kim Petras, a trans woman, singing in a cage. Mm. When, when everyone gets their, their knickers in a twist and goes, oh my goodness, pearl clutching, can't believe Sam Smith's doing on this on this stage. And they go, well, this is your interpretation of me. If you find it disgusting and, and distasteful, mm. that's because you've asked for this to be to be put on to me. Now it is neither to chastise people because they are queer or to try and sneak people in who are queer into, into literature. It is now, it's a middle finger. <laughs> Yeah. Now it's a it's a re- act of rebellion. It's no longer trying to be like, oh, well, we've got to. We I want to I want to put this character as as queer, or I want to put queer people into the into these materials, into the into cinema or into film. But I have to make them evil so I can get away with it. It is us going as a community, or as a community going, screw you, <laughs> really. Mm, more generally, about the way that queer culture is presented in pop culture do you think this is a good moment for queer representation in in pop culture currently i think doctor who is going to be a really great moment for queer representation because of the 3d nature that was talking about earlier that we're going to see characters who are obviously queer but there are going to be queer heroes and there are going to be queer villains. Mm-hmm. The, I think the biggest, the biggest LGBT plus program I can think of the top of my head at the moment is, is Drag Race. The mainstreamification of what it means to be queer, what it means to do drag, you know, there's a whole subsection of drag that's not represented on that program in the form mm. of kings, for example. Mm. Queer culture on screen. I don't, if you don't fit into a particular box or you don't have a financial worth... It's like, well, why do I want to, why do I want to bother? Let's take a minute, but Shantae, you stay. And when we come back, we'll talk to drag queen Fat Butcher. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, You can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Welcome back, queens. We've talked about how drag queens and queer communities may be having a moment in pop culture. But off screen, there's a darker side to this. Far-right groups have been protesting at drag queen story events across the country with performers being targeted in person and online. I wanted to talk to a drag queen about the highs and lows of the art. An icon, a professional hot mess, 
the illegitimate love child of Pam St. Clements and Elton John. I'm a bald, non-binary, like bearded, fat drag queen. A very glamorous Fabergé egg. Fat Butcher is a performer who runs drag queen events around the country. I started performing in drag or doing drag for myself at the beginning of lockdown. And I ran out to Superdrug like just before they shut all the shops mm. and grabbed all the makeup that I could find, all the cheapest makeup. And was like, I'm just going to see if I can work out how to do this at home. I started an online bingo on Zoom every week in lockdown as a way to raise money for the artists who I'd been supporting who were suddenly out of work. And it became a kind of viral thing. We built a little community around it. And then people started asking me to do it in the real world. And now it's my full-time job. So in the end, I stole everyone's jobs that I was trying to help. (laughs) Well, you still help them along the way, you know? (laughs) Truly, truly. And why did you create Fat Butcher? I guess, like, I created Fat as a way to kind of be the representation that I hadn't seen and to celebrate the parts of myself that I'd always felt a bit uncomfortable about. And historically, that's what drag's always been about. Mm. So like drag is an act of reclamation. And I guess for me, like Fat Butcher has been that. You've spoken a lot about drag being a way to build community, build connection, help to understand yourself better. And obviously everyone kind of engages with drag now, particularly because of how like, you know, quote unquote mainstream you said it was. But do you think there are maybe some misconceptions or misunderstandings about drag um, that you kind of see happen or you've seen conversations or that you've noticed? I think that ultimately people have wrongly come to understand it as an art form that is inherently adult or sexualized in some way. Where it gets confusing is that it's attached to queer identities and queer people are often only viewed by wider society as having sex lives rather than living full lives Um, and obviously that is an important part of everybody's life it's a privilege that we're not afforded that straight people are which is that they can have you know full and multifaceted lives but our lives will always be presented for the straight gays Mm. g-a-z-e not (laughs) y-s In 2021, you were caught up in the culture wars that were happening. Can you tell us a bit about what happened to you? I run a project called Palava, which is a program that works with theatres and arts and cultural organisations to support LGBTQ plus artists to make performance work for children and families. But we got sort of targeted by online, well, particularly anti-trans groups who led a sort of campaign to try and get the project shut down. They were sort of conflating some of the work that some of the artists, myself included, had done that was specifically made for adult audiences. We were accused of of grooming children, being abusers, or we were called like a Jimmy Savile tribute act at one point. This is mad. And it sort of bubbles up around quite an intensive week of being the centre of an online Twitter storm and local news and writing to the Arts Council and local councils to try and get the project cancelled. Yeah, so we were kind of caught up in the middle of that process. Historically, when society is targeting, a society at large is targeting a marginalised group of people, they will often seek to present that group of people as a threat to whoever that society deems is the most vulnerable at the time. So I think what's really important to say is that there's absolutely no evidence 
or data, and there's been a lot of research into that, to suggest that you're any more likely to experience forms of abuse from homosexual or, or same-sex attracted people as you are from straight people. There's literally no evidence of that at all. But this is a long-standing trope that has been used by media, particularly sort of hate groups who have an agenda against a particular community as a way to stir up hate. And unfortunately, it's one that sticks. I still struggle to understand why people automatically assume that anything a queer person is doing is automatically sexual. And as a result, if it involves children, it is something that it, we should be suspicious of or something that is, that is wrong. This whole idea that queerness is associated with like paedophilia, which is is mad, but it's like people always make this leap and I don't understand why. We could try for a really long time to sort of unpack why that is. And I don't know if we'd ever reach a, a, a logical answer because we're not dealing with a logical problem. There are many arguments that your children are a lot safer uh, with like drag performers than they are in like organized religious spaces, for mm. example. This is one of the examples of privilege that non-queer people have. We aren't afforded the same like plurality to our lives. I think about like, I use this example a lot, but Tom Hardy, for example, he can play Venom and like kill a bunch of people in the film and like, you know, do all kinds of stuff that we would never show to young children. But then he still could read stories on CBeebies and be celebrated mm. for that. And we would never question an actor's work in one film or one area isn't representative of what they will do specifically for young audiences or specifically mm. for other people. But but queer people are not afforded that same understanding. And obviously your kind of engagement with these awful people happened in 2021 and we're now in 2023. And, you know, a lot of this stuff still exists. There's even a protest happening this Saturday. I kind of want to know for you like do you see progress happening do you see things changing between 2021 and 2023 have you seen things that have given you hope somewhat that things can be different we are seeing an increase in backlash that's part of a wider picture of increasingly more extreme views and the normalization of those views i think we're seeing hate play a really big part in our current social and political discourse. The more that drag and queer identities get pushed into the mainstream, the more we're going to see a louder backlash against it. Because I think people have been very, it's been very easy to ignore us mm. until mm. recently. And now it's at a point where if you want to ignore what we do, you will have to actively make that choice to ignore us rather than be able to pretend like we don't exist. Mm -hmm. because we're taking up space in ways that we haven't before. What keeps you motivated every day to get up and be fat butcher? Money. Uh <laughs> Listen, a girl gotta eat! Um, and I'm part joking, but obviously the cost of living crisis <laughs> no, is in real, full effect. What keeps me wanting to do it is that when it works, my drag is at its most effective. I get to feel connected to my community. There's a real sense of like bringing people together. And actually, I get to see in those moments the possibility of what a better future can look like. 
Pop culture is always ahead of the curve. It's a safe space for those who feel shunned by the outside world. And to be honest, I'd rather live in the wacky world of Daleks and drag queen villains than right here where grown adults protest drag shows. Grow up, get a life. Well, that brings us to the end of another fabulous episode. And if you've loved listening to this podcast as much as I've loved hosting it, then don't be shy, babes. Leave a review and subscribe to the Pop Culture Hive. This week's episode was produced by Mrs. Summerfield, Patty Moya, with Lady Charity Bang Bang, Lily Mae Simons. Sound design by Lady Ophelia Cutterbitch, Mao Lissetto. Original music by Dame Peaches Ho, Axel Kukutie. And the executive producer is Madam Ophelia Goodnight, Maz Eptaj. That's all from me, Dame Orgasma Vision. Sashay away until next Thursday. This is The Guardian. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.